0: Good morning. It's Monday, January 18th, MLK Day. I'm Shamita Basu.
1: And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them.
0: President elect Joe Biden says he'll get right to work within hours of being inaugurated on Wednesday. The Washington Post reports Biden is planning a 10-day sprint of executive actions.
1: But before we get to the specifics of that sprint, let's talk about how different this inauguration is going to be. It's taking place during the pandemic, which would have made things weird enough anyway. But after the insurrection at the Capitol and threats of more violence, there's going to be scrutiny and security like we've never really seen before all over the city. The National Mall, which is usually filled with hundreds of thousands of people, is going to be empty. You're going to be able to hear birds chirping during the inauguration. Airbnb and hotels in the D.C. area have been shutting down bookings, and there are more than 20,000 National Guard troops stationed all over the Capitol. The Defense Department says the FBI is vetting them, looking for potential internal threats.
0: Right. And that's not the only thing that's going to be different. For one, President Trump will not be at the inauguration. And we'll see the historic swearing-in of our first woman vice president, Kamala Harris, by our first woman of color to serve on the Supreme Court, Justice Sonia Sotomayor.
1: And just hours after Biden becomes the most powerful leader in the world, there are going to be major changes. The Washington Post is reporting he's planning to sign about a dozen executive orders. Many deal with the pandemic and its economic fallout. Ron Klein is Biden's incoming chief of staff. And he's saying... The president-elect is planning to extend both the federal pause in student loan payments, along with the moratorium on evictions and foreclosures.
0: Biden will also issue mandates to wear masks on federal property and for interstate travel, which means that we'll all be required to wear masks on flights, on buses and trains, anything that crosses state lines. In the days after his inauguration, Biden's expected to sign executive orders to help schools reopen, to expand COVID-19 testing and to establish national public health guidelines. He's also planning to send Congress a $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package. And looking at the calendar this week, Duarte, I realize that Biden will be sworn into office almost exactly one year from when the first COVID case was confirmed Mm. in the U.S., And look at where we've come in a year. Now we're on the verge of marking 400,000 lives lost in America.
1: After the violent insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, Biden was quick to call the people involved domestic terrorists. And recently, he said he supports passing a new law targeting domestic terror, But national security reporter Spencer Ackerman warns such new laws could target the wrong people. And he's worried about what he says could be another war on terror-like response.
0: Ackerman has been covering national security for more than a decade. In an article for the Daily Beast, he takes us through the recent history of anti-terror laws. Just take the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, for example. A white American terrorist killed 168 people in one of the deadliest acts of domestic terrorism. And yet, the reaction from Congress was to pass a major piece of counterterrorism legislation that expanded the powers of the FBI and federal prosecutors for international terrorists. In other words, they were saying the problem must be out there somewhere.
1: Then came 9-11. Ackerman says the laws passed in response to those attacks were eventually used... In pretty unexpected ways, they laid the groundwork for the Pentagon to spy on anti-war activists. Those laws enabled the Department of Homeland Security to use drone surveillance on Black Lives Matter protesters. And they also gave the FBI and local police forces nearly blanket authority to track and spy on American Muslim communities living right here in the U.S.
0: Now, looking at where we are today... We know that far-right extremism is on the rise. It's been documented. The Department of Homeland Security released a report in October calling domestic white supremacist extremists one of the most persistent and lethal threats in our country. And here is the point that Ackerman makes. We already have laws on the books to go after these extremists, the same types that stormed the Capitol. What he worries about is whether those laws will be properly used to fight a very real domestic terror threat.
1: Health and wellness are really big on Instagram. Those pictures of delicious food and people getting their workouts on are so inspiring that it's easy to click that little heart, you know, the one that says, I love it, But the next time you follow one of these influencers, be wary. They may not just be giving you tips on the best detox tea brands. They might also be sharing QAnon conspiracy theories.
0: Yeah, this story is really wild, but it's important. It comes from Cosmo magazine. The reporter Cleo Chang looks at how the lies of QAnon are spreading to yoga and wellness-minded millennial women on social media. And if you're not familiar with QAnon, it is a complex web of lies that promotes conspiracy theories, and it's led to some people committing violence. And some of the extremists who attacked the U.S. Capitol were followers of Q.
1: An expert on far right radicalization explains many social media influencers who focus on non traditional health remedies already tend to question medical authority. So this particular slippery slope works like this. Someone who's just curious about natural medicine goes onto Instagram or some other social media website and gets exposed to misinformation about vaccines. Mm -hmm. Then that person goes a bit deeper, maybe to Facebook, maybe joins a group that believes vaccines are part of a giant government conspiracy. And little by little, somebody who was just researching alkaline supplements is sucked into QAnon.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. That's the way it works. It starts out with these subtle messages, just enough to pique your interest and make you click. But then that hook can drag ordinary people into a deep rabbit hole. Cosmo talks about this one influencer who has nearly 150,000 followers. Usually her posts are things like, you know, yoga or the best herbal remedies. But when the pandemic started, she began sharing these video rants about Q conspiracy theories, Mm. telling her followers that the government was falsifying death certificates or about how the whole pandemic is a fraud of some kind. Mm. Of course, these are these are lies.
1: The Cosmo piece is also one of our audio stories, which we'll link to on our show notes page. Now, if you're listening on the Apple News app, tap the notification we're sending you about halfway through the show for the link.
0: Today is MLK Day. Martin Luther King Jr. would have turned 92 this year. And as we honor Dr. King, Anna Malaika Tubbs wants us to honor the triumphs and struggles of his mother as well. She argues in Time Magazine that, like many other Black women in history, Alberta Williams King has not gotten the appreciation that she deserves.
1: Tubbs wrote a book about three women, the mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin. In this article, she explains just how crucial Alberta King's life was to the civil rights movement. She played a huge role in the famous Ebenezer Baptist Church, which she led alongside her husband, Martin Luther King Sr. Now, outside the church, she dedicated her time to organizations like the NAACP, the Young Women's Christian Association, and the International League for Justice and Freedom.
0: And it was Mrs. King who first taught her son the ugly parts of U.S. history about slavery and the Civil War. And she told him that he was worthy of dignity as much as any other person. After losing her son, Mrs. King continued to devote her life to supporting marginalized people. But only six years after she sat in the pews at Ebenezer Baptist Church mourning the loss of her son, she herself was assassinated in the same church in 1974.
1: You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app.
0: And while you're there, check out some of our audio
1: stories. We'll talk with you again tomorrow.